Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Hi, this is Joe Ziemba from the podcast When Football Was Football, and you are listening to the Total Sports Recall Podcast, a part of the Sports History Network. Now, here's your host, Harv Aronson. Welcome to the Total Sports Recall Podcast. I am your host, Harv Aronson, and for many of my listeners, they know I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, and as a graduate of the North Hills High School there, I spent time talking about sports with several friends. One such friend is Mitch Mansfield, who I had not spoken to since I graduated in 1977. That is over 45 years. And in 2023, Mitch and I have reconnected to pick up where we left off so long ago. Before I bring Mitch onto the show, a little background about Mitch Mansfield, which I am sure will leave you impressed. Baseball is Mitch's specialty. Mitch was born in Erie, Pennsylvania, the same year as my birth, 1959. In 1970, his family moved down to Pittsburgh. After graduating from North Hills, Mitch would go on to earn a degree from the University of Pittsburgh. Having spent a career in selling industrial equipment, Mitch has since retired from that job. At the age of eight, Mitch found the sport of baseball and fell in love with the game. He was introduced to baseball as he became a bat boy for his father's friends, who was coaching a little league team. Soon, Mitch was playing baseball and did so for a Colt league in Erie and in Pittsburgh. Mitch would also take up softball, which he kept playing until just a few years ago. With his baseball skills, Mitch has attended the Pittsburgh Pirates annual fantasy camp, having done so in 1999 and 2001. In 1999, that camp was dedicated to a reunion of the 1979 World Champion Pirates, celebrating the World Series title they won 20 years before. Mitch spent time as a ticket taker at the old Bree River Stadium in Pittsburgh from 1989 to 1994 and volunteered with the Pittsburgh Pirates Diamond and Gold Clubs as a group ticket representative from 1997 until through 2002. Mitch is an avid baseball card collector, a hobby he began in 1970. Mitch has accomplished something very few people can claim, and that is having attended a baseball game in every Major League Baseball stadium minus San Francisco and Oakland, two teams he plans to travel to see in the 2024 season. Once he accomplishes that, he will have seen all 30 teams playing in their own stadium. Major League Baseball is not where Mitch stops as he has been to 64 minor league ballparks in 23 states. 
What makes Mitch Mansfield even more of a baseball fan is the fact that he has been to the following baseball museums. The Roberto Clemente Museum in Pittsburgh, the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, the Babe Ruth Museum in Baltimore, the Roger Maris Museum located in Fargo, North Dakota, the Maury Wills Museum also in Fargo, the North Carolina Baseball Museum in Wilson, North Carolina, the Tampa Baseball Museum in Tampa, the Ty Cobb Museum in Royston, Georgia, and finally, the Shoeless Joe Jackson Museum in Greenville, South Carolina. With his travels around the country and visiting so many venues and events, Mitch has met and played with many Major League Baseball players over the years and established friendships with former Major League major leaguers and outstanding pitchers uh, Bill Spaceman Lee and Ferguson Jenkins. Mitch, we've already spoken on the phone several times, but have not been in front of each other since we left North Hills High School way back in 1977. We'll be meeting up in Florida again soon, but this is mind-boggling. It's been over 45 years, and yet it seems like yesterday when we were chatting about sports as teenagers in the 1970s. I thought the same thing. It's like, it's like I can't believe 40 years went by, and when we talked on the phone, it was like yesterday, like just like you said. Yeah, it's it's crazy, but I'm glad we reconnected. And uh, you know, I've met many people in my life with an interest and involvement in sports, and had friends that were huge sports fans. But given your bio and letting our listeners know how much you have done in the sport of baseball, I'm scratching my head wondering how did you manage to do so much and travel to so many stadiums and events while also having a career. Well, part of it was uh, early on in my career, I traveled all over the country, so that gave me an opportunity to. Uh, visit a lot of these parks while I was traveling for business. So I would, I would usually check the schedules during baseball season and see who was in town and try to attend a game. Uh, talking about San Francisco and Oakland, I've been to San Francisco and Oakland probably 15 or 20 times each. And I, I remember driving by the Oakland Coliseum and Candlestick Park and just never went to a game while I was out there during the, the 80s when I was traveling so much. So um, I really didn't even think about doing all 30 ballparks until maybe seven or eight years ago when I realized how many I had gone to. And that's when I said, okay, well, now I got to really make an effort. So we've been to, in the last few years, we went to Seattle. Um, last year, we went to San Diego and um, Phoenix. And so now I, I'm down to just the last two and we're going to do those this coming season. Well, that's amazing. So both of us being from Pittsburgh, we previously, previously discussed the fact that our favorite baseball team ever was the 1971 Pirates who won the world series that year. You were so lucky to have attended that 2001 fantasy camp and met some of the players from that team who from that 71 Bucks team was at that camp? Uh, almost everybody on the team. Uh, Willie Stargell was there in 99 when I was there, but he was not there in 2001. Uh, so I did get to meet him in 99. And I had met Willie numerous times over the years from being in the Diamond and Gold Clubs. Uh, but um, obviously Roberto Clemente wasn't there. Bob Johnson wasn't mm -hmm. there. Um, there was only a handful of players from that team that was not there. Almost everybody was there. Uh, Bruce Keeson and Gene Kleins were my coaches for the week. So I got to wow. know both of them very well. 
actually, Bruce Keeson was my coach in, in 99. So when I went back in 2001, he drafted me because he already knew he had already had me in 99. And I think I was his first draft choice in 2001. Wow, that's wild. I always said when I when I knew Bruce Keeson, I don't know if you ever seen the movie Willard, but he always reminded me of Bruce <laughs> Davison, who played the main character in that movie. They look so much alike. I always thought, wow, it could be brothers. Yes. That's so funny. So yeah, yeah, I can still name that starting lineup from 1971, and some of the the bench players and the pitching staff are for you. Who were your favorite players from that team? Well, Roberto Clemente was my favorite player. Um, I was obviously like you, we've talked about this, just devastated when he passed away. I was, we were 12 years old, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. But, I, I, you know, almost everybody on that team was my favorite player because I just, I was 12 years old. They were my heroes. And, uh, but Clemente definitely was my favorite out of all of them. Yeah, absolutely. And to this day, and like we've discussed, I mean, I still can't wrap my head around it that he's gone. I mean, it's just, it's never really sank in. Right. Um, and he, he, excuse me, he was such an idol in Pittsburgh. And I think between he and, and Willie Stargell are probably the two favorite baseball players in Pirates history um, for people from Pittsburgh. And uh, you're lucky, man, to meet Willie Stargell. That must have been something else because what a guy. I mean, even if you never met the guy, you felt like you knew him, and he was just like everybody's father or grandfather. He was just such a down-to-earth, great human being. Yeah. Well, you like luckily, that in person? Yes. Um, yeah. I got to see Willie like most people don't get to see him because the the Diamond Club office was right across the hall from Willie's office. So there were many times that I was down at Three Rivers Stadium in the Diamond Club office and Willie was in his office, even on a could have been a Sunday afternoon off season or whatever it was. He was in his office quite a bit and I got to talk to him quite a few times. It was it was really a great experience that most people don't get to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I had found out about his death after the fact it, I, you know, I didn't hear about it right away. And when he passed, I was just like, oh, my God, that's just so sad because we lost a, a real hero. And as far as an athlete goes in Pittsburgh, when, when he passed. Yeah. Well, another old pirate that I got to know a little bit through fantasy camps, but also from being down at Three Rivers a lot was Bill Mazeroski. And uh, again, just a very humble guy. He hates to talk about himself. <laughs> And, but we just had some really nice conversations, he and I. Yeah. And of course, everybody that knows Pirates baseball knows the hero he was in 1960, hitting that walk-off home run. And and they make a big deal about Bobby Thompson and his shot her around the world. And that was only for a pennant when he hit his walk-off home run. Uh, you've got Bill Mazeroski here who won the World Series with one swing of the bat. I think that far outweighs Bobby Thompson's home run. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I happened to turn on a sports channel yesterday at lunchtime while I was eating lunch and I caught They were playing the 1960 world series game seven and it was the eighth inning and Hal Smith. If if you remember Hal Smith hit a three run homer in the eighth inning 
And the announcers on that game, the announcers were saying this might be the greatest home run in home run uh, home run in World Series history. And I was laughing oh because I thought an inning later is the most iconic, yeah. other than maybe Joe Carter. Joe Carter is the only other person that hit a walk-off World Series winner for the right. Blue Jays. So right. I, I, I had to laugh about that, that they said Hal Smith might have had the greatest home run in World Series history. Yeah, and for anybody listening that doesn't, is not real familiar with the 1960 World Series, as you well know, the Yankees just clobbered the Pirates in every game they won, and then every game they lost was close. So it's crazy that the Yankees were heavy, heavy favorites in that game and just demolished the Pirates in every game that they won, but then ended up losing in seven games on yep. Mazeroski's home run. Crazy well, World Mick Series. Mickey Mantle always said that that was the most devastating loss of his career when they lost wow. to the Pirates. He 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 thought there was no way they were going to lose to the Pirates going into that series. Yeah, and it was it would be their first series victory since 1925. And then look at this, uh, 71, 11 years later, they win. And then eight years later, again in 79. So, mm -hmm. and haven't touched the World Series since. <laughs> so, well, well – I think you and I grew up in Pittsburgh at the obviously the best time in Pirates oh, yeah. history. They were in the playoffs almost every year from 1970 yeah. to 1979. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it was really something else. Well, my favorite from 71, obviously, as we've already spoken, was Roberto Clemente. And I actually give him credit for stirring my interest in sports because I was 12, like you said. At the time, and I can remember like yesterday, my father was watching the World Series in his bedroom. And I walked up and said, what are you watching? And he said, the World Series. And I really wasn't a big sports fan at that time. And here comes Roberto Clemente. hits a home run. I'm like, wow, this is great. And my next door neighbor uh, up the street came down after the game and says, hey, you want to go downtown and watch the celebration? And I'm like, yeah, cool. So we went down there. And I'll never forget it because my neighbor was crazy anyway. And we go to his – he was the – Nana man in Pittsburgh, uh, Rubino. I don't know if you know that name or not, but so Mr. Rubino, and he actually was a, a great wrestler for Penn State University back in the day. But he, we went down to his his shop and he grabs a knife. And I was like, what the heck is that for? And because he, he thought it was just in case anything gets too crazy with all the celebration, <laughs> he'd be protected. But yeah, that was that's what started me on sports. And uh that 71 team was a colorful team, had so many different personalities. And as I said, eight seasons later, eight seasons later, the Pirates will make the World Series again. And for the second straight time, like they did in 71, they were facing the Baltimore Orioles. I attended all three of those games at Three River Stadium in 1979, and the Pirates came back from three games to one to win that series. Did you happen to attend any of those games, Mitch? And if you did, what's your impression of that championship team? I did not. I, I can't believe looking back that I – there's a couple things with looking back that I can't believe I didn't attend. One was Roberto Clemente's 3,000th hit game, which my parents mm. went to. Wow. I, I don't know why I wouldn't have gone to that game with them, but I they went to that game. I didn't. Um, and they my parents did go to the World Series games in 79. I was in college. I was at Pitt at the time. I mm – -hmm. I, I had a lot of fun just watching the games with my roommates. I lived in a, yeah. in a in a suite with eight guys. There was eight of us. Wow. And we were all sports guys. And we watched all those games on TV. I don't know why I didn't – I really didn't even think of going to a game. Yeah. The only I, world I – mean, 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the only World Series game I've ever been to was uh, when the Phillies played the Yankees in 2008 or 2009. One of my mm -hmm. customers from uh, Sunoco over near Philly invited me to a game. And that's the only World mm -hmm. Series game I've been to. Wow. Yeah. So I, the impression I had, though, because I was at Slippery Rock and, and obviously just drove down to Pittsburgh. Back then, World Series tickets were next to nothing. I mean, they were not expensive at all. So I said, this is easy. I'll just get three tickets. Um, my impression was it was so weird. I was at the game and it didn't feel like a World Series. I mean, it, people were not, from what I remember, not that excited in the stadium at Three Rivers. So. <laughs> I don't know, but up at Slippery Rock, you know, obviously after the three games, I went back up to school and the dorm I was in, we had a Baltimore Orioles fan on our floor and I, three games to one advantage. He's over there boasting and pounding his chest. Baltimore's going to win the World Series and then Pirates win the next one. It's three to two. Then win the next one, three to three. Now the guy's getting nervous. Um, so... <laughs> When we won it in game seven. He would not come out of his room uh, in our dorm. I remember it got so crazy that I think somebody pulled a fire alarm just to get everybody out of the, out of the dorm because people were going nuts. That was a lot of fun. But, well, I but as we know you, that, something, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I was, I was on the campus at Pitt when we won. And I got to tell you, it was, it was just mayhem on that campus that night yeah. when the Pirates won. I It was better than probably being at the game. It, it was just yeah. an incredible sight to be in Oakland when they won that night. Well, as you know, as well as I do, 79 was a great year for Pittsburgh because the Steelers also won the Super Bowl and Willie Stargell and Terry Bradshaw were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I believe they won Sportsman of the Year that year. Um, so that was an amazing year in Pittsburgh and I can't remember how the Penguins did, but it would have been nice to have a three peak there with, uh, with three different, uh, national, you know, world champions, but, uh, Penguins yeah. didn't get with Stanley cup that year. Yeah. I got it. I don't know if you remember this though, but the Penguins that's the year the Penguins changed their colors to black and gold. They no, had realized that. Yeah. They had blue uniforms up until the Steelers and pirates both won the same year. And that's the year they changed their uniforms to black and gold wow that's interesting I, I think a lot of people that follow hockey probably don't know that the penguins used to be blue and white um i still remember having some some hockey cards with like ron shock was one that i had yeah. and he had the blue and white <laughs> uniform on um and before we get back to baseball there's a funny story about that um who was the uh, the general manager a few years ago he used to play goalie for them um his name's slipping my mind oh Ron johnson bob johnson yeah, uh, was it Bob Johnson, the for little the guy? It was a goalie for them. Yeah, he was oh, general manager uh, Jimmy, for Jim, Jim Rutherford. There you go, Jim Rutherford. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they hot. The Penguins were having a um, a hockey clinic down at Civic Arena, and I went to attend it. And me and whoever went with me, I can't remember who it was. We snuck into the locker room, um, and sure enough, Jimmy Rutherford came walking out of the locker room. <laughs> Really? And wow. I think we talked to him, uh, it, the little guy, and I'm little myself, but he was small. Um, it's a, it, it was very funny that, you know, we were not, we were somewhere we weren't supposed to be. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. So back to baseball. As we know, that 79 <laughs> team was known as the We Are Family team, led by Captain and Hall of Famer, who we spoke much about already, Willie Stargell. 
He would award players with stars to put on their ball caps when they had exceptional performances. Do you agree that Stargell, we already spoke about this a little bit, that Stargell was one of the most beloved athletes ever in Pittsburgh? And again, what we talked about before, he was absolutely the consummate professional. Yes, he just iconic. I mean, when you think of the Pirates, it's probably him and Clemente are the two people you think of. Yeah, absolutely. But that that 71 team did have some colorful characters. I used to really like Richie Hebner. He was he was a lot of fun. And people that know Richie Hebner or don't know that he was a hockey player. He was a grave digger in the offseason. Uh, he, he was quite an interesting human being. Well, as you know, and I, I know you know this already, but probably the the funniest guy at the seven at the 2001 fantasy camp was Doc Ellis. Doc Ellis was quite really? a character. Oh yeah, Doc Ellis was quite a character at, at the camp. Oh so, wow! So you got to meet him before he passed, then obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, have you did you see the documentary about him? No, no, no. I see it online all the time. I've never watched it. I got to watch that. Yeah, you got to see that. But, it's it's really good. But oh yeah, and, Doc and of was. Course, yeah, I was going to say the story on Doc is him with his no hitter and supposedly being on LSD. And I don't know if I believe that. I mean, they say it's true, but it just seems a little far fetched. What do you think? Uh, after watching the documentary, I, I wouldn't doubt it. You need to watch the documentary. <laughs> I'll watch that. <laughs> that's funny because that's one heck of a story if it, it is true uh somebody that could be on lsd and then go out and play baseball uh, right I don't know. uh but let me put a scenario out there for you mitch if the 1971 squad was able to play the 1979 team who do you think wins that best of seven series uh geez i i might Tough lean one, right? toward well, I might lean toward the 71 Pirates. I, I I think their pitching was better than the 79 team. Mm-hmm. I mean, 79 team had a good Absolutely. staff, but you got to you got to think the 71 Pirates beat 420 game winners. The Orioles yep. had 420 game winners and the 71 mm-hmm. Pirates beat them and and Ellis had hurt his arm actually. Ellis wasn't real healthy yep. when the World Series started. So if you had a healthy Ellis along with Steve Blass, I think the 71 Pirates, just by their pitching, would have shut down the 79 Pirates. Okay, so can you name the 421 game winners? I know it's Jim Palmer, Mike Cuellar, and I think the other two slipped my mind. McNally and Dobson. McNally, right. There you go. (laughs) Good call. (laughs) Uh, And and for some reason, it just – hit my mind the old story of the two Yankee pitchers that exchanged wives. You ever heard that story? Yes. Uh, I, I, I want to say pitchers. it was two pitchers. If, it yeah, was they, two pitchers? They, yeah, two pitchers and they exchanged wives. No, Fritz Peterson. Names, right? Fritz Peterson yes. was one of them. Yeah, yeah I, that's right. I'd have, I'd have to I, think I of the other one. What a bizarre! What a bizarre story. Uh, <laughs> they so traded wives during we the truly, season. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> baseball was fun back then. I'm telling you, it was nothing like it. And this is what I was going to get on next because we're you and I are truly fortunate to grow up in the 1970s. And I've always, every time I get a chance, I mention how lucky we were to experience that decade. Because in my opinion, Mitch, that is the best decade decade ever for all sports. In Pittsburgh, we are fortunate to have the two World Series titles during that decade and four Super Bowl victories. If I mention to you the 1970s, what comes to mind for you first? Uh, just success in sports for the for the city. I mean, it was just, uh, like you said, between the Pirates and the Steelers. And the Penguins had decent teams. They made the playoffs a yeah. few times. They mm -hmm. could never – I mean uh, – but, yeah, that's what it has to be is just uh, – and being our age, we were. You know, being young kids and then young teenagers, they were just sure. all our – all those guys were our heroes. Mm -hmm. So, you just – yeah, we were so and, fortunate. And, and obviously, you're – yeah, absolutely. And your alma mater won the national title in the 70s. 76. Uh, I think it was yes. 76. 76, 76 yep. right. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Tony I, Dorsett was the. Yeah, I, I, I just can't believe you know all the success of the Pittsburgh teams in the seventies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in Pittsburgh, when it comes to baseball and football and radio announcing, if you ask any Pittsburgher who are the voices they recall most from those two sports, obviously it would be Bob Prince would come up first for baseball, and then Myron Cope in football. Both men were absolutely idolized in Pittsburgh, even though at one point Bob Prince was given a bad hand, I believe it was KDK who relieved him of his duties. But what are your thoughts about those two announcers? I love Bob Prince. Uh, to me, Bob Prince was pirate baseball. He and Nellie King uh, doing the games mm -hmm. together. I think I, I think I had mentioned to you when we were talking that uh, when I lived in Erie, we moved to Pittsburgh when I was 12. Uh, so I think the first game I ever listened to was probably when I was about nine years old, and it was uh, Bob Prince. And just ever since then, he, he was just my favorite announcer. And I, I got to yeah. meet him one time at the Allegheny Club at Three River Stadium. I was there with my Cub Scout wow. pack, and we went to a game, and we ate at the Allegheny Club, and we were walking through to go to our table and Bob Prince and his wife were sitting there eating dinner before the game. And he actually stopped us. He wanted to stop and talk to all of us kids, uh, which was really, really, really nice. He signed autographs for us and I was just in awe to get to meet him. Wow. Yeah. He had many iconic lines that he used in during his broadcast. Uh, there's a bug on the rug. First one comes to mind. Uh, can of corn had, wasn't one of them. We had them all the way. That's the classic one. We had them all the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, didn't you have another one? Um, you can bloop. kiss that one goodbye. Yeah. And a bloop and a blast. Uh, bloop and a blast. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> There's so many. He had. <laughs> he he was like Mike Lang for the Penguins. He just had so many iconic calls. Yeah. And Myron Cope did the same in, in on the other side in football. And, of course, he's the responsible for the terrible towel, which is now just a uh, so commonly known as waving towels. I'm like, okay, where'd you get that idea from? 
I mean, come on, everybody copied that idea. So for anybody that's out there listening and you're a fan of a different team and you're waving a towel, just remember it started in Pittsburgh. We're the birth of that. Yeah, well, not to get off subject of baseball again, but I got to tell you another my fa- another favorite combination of broadcasters, which was for Pitt football back then, was Bill Hillgrove and Johnny Sowers, and I just mm-hmm. love listening to those two guys. Yeah, and so um, uh, a real quick story on Myron Cope. So I used to head up the Stewards Fan Club down here in Jacksonville, and he got ill at one point. And so I found out about that. Well, I got one of those huge get well cards, like the two foot, three foot cards and had everybody in the fan club sign it and send it to him. Get well. And so I said, OK, he probably got the card and, you know, it's a nice gesture and all that. I didn't expect anything out of it. And no kidding. Two weeks later, I got a letter in the mail, handwritten from Myron Cope saying how touched he was by this card. Wow. And that he was so touched by it, he put it on his mantle in his house so he could look wow. at it all the time. I couldn't believe it. I was that, so surprised that he actually wrote a handwritten letter back to me. Yeah, that's great. very, very cool. Yeah. But that just shows the character of him. Another guy um, that was just so down to earth and such a great human being. Mm-hmm. So... Let's go back to high school, Mitch. In the topic of baseball at North Hills High School, we had Chip Lang, who made the major leagues, and someone you know more personally, Chuck Knockreiner, who may end up uh, being on this show. Tell our listeners, especially our Pittsburghers out there, how and what you know about both. Uh, I really didn't know much about Chip Lang other than he had one baseball card, which I, (laughs) as a baseball card collector, I had his baseball card. Um, Oh, my gosh. he had a pretty short career in the majors, but he made the majors. Uh, that was mm-hmm. in the early 70s before you and I even went to ninth grade. I think he had already been playing or or was playing uh, for a brief period there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, yeah, I got to know Chuck uh, through uh, Elfenwild CYO basketball. That's where I met him. Um, and then he ended up dating my sister, one of my sisters, so – uh, Chuck and I spent quite a bit of time together back then, but he was probably the best baseball player that I've ever personally been around other than a major leaguer. And uh, I had, we had gone to some of his games when he went to Marietta college, uh, but he ended up becoming a all American shortstop and third baseman for Marietta. And uh, wow. just, surprisingly never got drafted or a tryout or anything. I was shocked. And I think he was too back then. Uh, But yeah, he's just quite a, quite an athlete. I mean, he would play if I was on a bunch of softball teams back then. And if we needed a fill in player, I'd always call Chuck. And uh, if he was available, (laughs) he'd, he'd come and play. And he was just far and away the best player on the field. It was just, just no doubt about it. He was the best player on the field. I was going to say you had a ringer. Yeah. <laughs> so he, have you ever asked him, he ever, did he ever think of just going as a walk on somewhere? Uh, no, I, I think his attitude back then was that if he wasn't going to get asked to come and play, he wasn't going to just try. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't remember if they thought he was too short or what the reason was, but he, 
I mean, he had the credentials in in college. He Marietta was a powerhouse program back then, and they turned out right. a lot of major league players, including Kent Takalvi. <clears throat> and wow. uh, I was I had no idea. I, yeah, yep. They had multiple major leaguers that came out of the Marietta program back then. Well, short should have nothing to do with it because one of my favorite players growing up was Freddie Potek, and he was only <laughs> five feet five. <laughs> I told my wife the story the other day. I said I liked him because I'm short. I was probably only five feet four in high school. So I said, wow, this guy's my height. I said, I like this guy. Yeah. Um, I actually tried to re- look him up recently because I, I would love to have him on my podcast, but I have not been able to find contact information for him. I know he's about 77 or 78 years old now. Well, look at Altuve for the Astros. I mean, he's yeah, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, and he's probably one of the sure. shortest guys that's ever played. Yeah, yeah. So height has nothing to do with it. Well, Mitch, you graduated from the University of Pittsburgh, where you followed the career of one of my former guests, Steve Fidel, who also started Pitt playing linebacker for the Panthers. But he's also a North Hills product. And he would make the roster for the Pittsburgh Steelers spend a few years there. Tell us what you know about Steve, who you spoke with back in the day. Uh, Well, Steve and I were friends in high school. We met in a broadcasting class, I think it was. And uh, he was a senior. I was a junior. And we just really had a lot of fun in that class. And then uh, when he went to Pitt, obviously the year before, the year we graduated, he was at Pitt as a freshman. Uh, and I just kept in touch with him. And then when I started going to Pitt, uh, we would go to the game. I went to all the home games when I was at Pitt. And back then Pitt had those powerhouse teams too, with winning, losing one or two games a year. <clears throat> but um, I would always... I made up a big banner that said Fidel's fan club and I would take it to the games and we would sit down <laughs> in the corner of the end zone. And, and I would always try to talk to Steve after the home games. Um, and then like a lot of things back then after college ended, we just kind of lost touch with each other. You know, mm-hmm. there was no Facebook or internet back then. And, sure. you know, as you, as you and I know, we lost touch with each other 40 years ago. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> but, it happens. Uh, but yep. Sometimes things come full circle, right? Uh, but <clears throat> with Steve playing linebacker, we also had just as uh, to remind listeners of um, our proud high school, North Hills. We also had Lavar Arrington as a product. Uh, mm-hmm. Lavar Arrington started for the Washington Redskins for most of his career. Great linebacker, and he came out of North Hills. And interesting, the one thing was, was for some reason, I always thought that LaVar was recruited to come to Pittsburgh to play for North Hills, but he was born and raised in Pittsburgh. I didn't realize that. Mm. I, I guess I didn't know that either. But I, I got to yeah. tell you, I, I lived yeah, in Penn Hill. I lived in Penn Hills uh, during the time that LaVar was at North Hills. I lived in Penn Hills. And when North Hills was playing mm-hmm. at Penn Hills one time, I went to the game. And we were standing down where the wow. players come onto the field. And I got to tell you, LeVar was like a man amongst boys. He was so much bigger oh, than everybody else yeah. on both on both teams. He was just yeah. a man among boys. Wow. Well, that's funny you say that because so when I remember going walking the halls in North Hills, and, of course, Steve was a year ahead of us, but I remember seeing him in the hallways going, Jesus, this guy is a monster. He's so big. So, I mean, he had biceps that were incredible. 
So uh, he was he was a big guy too as well. Uh, of the twenty eight stadiums for Major League Baseball, Mitch, which was your favorite? Bias aside, because PNC Park is considered one of the most beautiful stadiums in the majors. Which is one of your favorites, or what are your favorites? Total Sports Recall is sponsored by Mira Artistry, where you can purchase beautiful fine art photography and abstract art. Contact Mira Artistry in regards to commissions and availability of the pieces on her site. She would like to create something special for you. For the photography and art lovers in your life, Mira Artistry has the perfect gifts for you. Visit Mira Artistry at www.miraartistry.com. That's M-E-R-A-A-R-T-I-S-T-R-Y.com. MiraArtistry.com. Uh, out of all the parks I've been to, I'd have to say Fenway is my favorite. As far as sitting to watch a game, uh, it's it's just like a little playground. When you walk in there, it looks so small. And I just think it's, a great place to watch. I've, I've sat in different places in the ballpark and every view is a good view. And, but you're in the ballpark. You're not seeing anything around the ballpark. Uh, I also really like Coors Field. I really like Citizens Bank Park in Philly. Uh, Camden Yards is really nice. Uh, one of my favorite other older parks was uh, Tiger Stadium. I lived in Michigan for a few years out of college and went to quite a few games at the old Tiger Stadium. Um, and and uh, Wrigley Field's really nice, too. But I've, I've been to Wrigley in the old days before they put the electronic scoreboards and the lights and everything in Wrigley. But I think the, the best ballpark with everything included and definitely the view is PNC Park. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. No other ballpark has that view of PNC Park where it sits just enough, far enough away from downtown that you can see downtown. Uh, mm-hmm. And then all the amenities of the ballpark and all the other really cool little things about it. PNC overall is probably the best ballpark I've ever been to. And I, I don't want to say that just because I'm from Pittsburgh. Yeah, <laughs> and well, I, yeah even... <clears throat> Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I actually helped build PNC Park uh, when I was working. No kidding. Oh, yeah. When I was, when I was working, uh, I was in the Diamond Club for the Pirates at the time when they were building PNC Park. And while I was working, I was actually selling things to the contractors that were building PNC Park. So I got to go into wow. PNC Park basically from ground from the ground up, I got to go there as a job site and be there while they were building the ballpark. And then again, being on the other side of it, working for the Pirates at the time, I got to see a lot of really neat things about PNC Park being built. That's cool. So let me ask you then, do you have any remnants from Three River Stadium? I know a lot of people collected a lot of stuff from there. And I, from what I understand, when the Washington Redskins, the final game there was played afterwards, people were trying to rip up seats and take things with them. <laughs> uh, I, don't have any, I don't have any seats from Three Rivers. I considered buying some over the years. Uh, but I do have two wooden seats and one metal seat from Forbes Field. Wow. That's awesome. I, 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 do, I, I do have a 
Huh? I never attended a uh, game at Forbes Field because we moved to Pittsburgh after, but I do have three seats from there. Yeah, uh, I only have one story at Forbes Field. When I was nine, I actually I didn't become a sports fan, like I said, until I was 12. But at nine years old, my father took me to a Forbes Field uh, baseball game. And um, for some reason, it sticks in my head, but we were sitting in the seats and there was a foul ball and it came rolling right in front of us. And both of us kind of just sat there and watched it roll on by. We could have had a souvenir baseball. Somebody else next to us picked it up. I guess as a nine-year-old, I didn't understand what was going on. But uh, that's my one and only story from Forest Field. But my grandmother... Uh, at the time she was alive, lived on North Craig Street, um, and it overlooked Forbes Field. And on that, I clearly remember being on her the roof of her building and being able to overlook the outside. See, just popped from North Craig Street. It was very cool. But, I don't know if you knew this. Have, yeah. That, did you know that they... I don't know if they continue to do it now, but did you know they used to play game seven of the 60 World Series at in Oakland next to where Forbes Field used to be? Did you know about no, I that? Didn't. Yeah. No, for, I didn't. I, again, I don't know if they still do it, but for years, and I attended quite a few of them, they would, they, these two guys would come with a uh, boom box and they had the whole audio of game seven. And they would start it the, the minute that the game really started. They would start the play of the game. And, they, and it usually ended within a minute or two of when it really ended. And over the years, it just became quite an event with uh, just the crowd grew every year. And during the 50th anniversary, the 50th anniversary of it, they actually brought a lot of the 60 players that were still alive. They all came and sat along the wall, and they brought Maz in a limo that year. Oh my and uh, and I attended that, and that was quite an event too. I don't I don't know if they still do it, but it was it was really nice to go to. That's so cool. Well, you having been in all these stadiums, uh, you're you're one lucky guy because um, recently about the old stadiums that no longer exist. Um, and you know, Wrigley Field is one of the oldest ones that's still around, so there's a lot of, and of course, Fenway Park stadiums like Ebbets Field, uh, the original Yankee Stadium, they're gone. Uh, a lot of the old classic stadiums are long gone, and everybody's building all these new stadiums, so um, it's at least some of the stadiums that go way back are still standing today, yeah. Well, you know, uh, City City Park in New York for the uh, Mets, the outside of it looks like Ebbets Field. I don't know if you know that or not. I yeah, they... I'm learning a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, they replicated Ebbets Field on the outside, but as soon as you walk in, it's very modern. So that oh, was kind of cool. neat when I went to that. Yeah, because I obviously never went to Ebbets Field, so me an education in baseball today um so speaking of stadiums do you remember jari montreal uh, i i remember listening, at that stadium yeah i i never saw it but i remember listening to the uh pirate games there and i don't know you probably remember what i remember you know 
laying in bed at night with my transistor radio under my pillow listening to the games. And that announcer from Jerry Park, Jerry Park with his accent. And I don't know if you remember the, the Expos had some really good names back then for this guy to say. And I still remember he would say like John Bacabella. He had that oh French accent. Yeah, remember that? And so like, oh, oh, they had so, so many players on that team that the guy, the PA guy, would announce them in the background. And I just love, I really miss listening to that. Yeah, I, I always thought about doing a, a, a show about or writing about um, some of the funny names in baseball. And John Bacabella is one of the <laughs> mine. Um, and, and then it was uh, Apodaca. Remember Apodaca? Uh, yeah. that was uh, well, back in high school for a few years, something like nine straight home opening games for the Pirates in Pittsburgh. I used to go every year. Uh, it, and back then it was an event. It was like a tradition. It was a huge event going to opening day. So a major of, uh, I mean, a major event to attend opening day was. It was standing room only at Three River Stadium. I'm sure you've attended, but do any of them stand out for you? Well, I I had a feeling you might ask me a question similar to this. So uh, I've been to two, probably the two that stand out the most to me was I went to the very first Devil Rays game ever in Tampa. Um, so I went to their first opener and then I went to the very first nationals, uh, opener at RFK station. So, uh, I'm trying to think the nationals was their very first game ever. The Rays had played like six games on the road to start the season, but I was at their first home opener when they were a new team. Very cool. So those were probably my two most memorable. Uh huh. Go ahead. I, I was just saying those are probably my two most memorable of all the ones I've been to. Well, I'll give you my most memorable one because <laughs> it's a funny incident. So I go to an opening day, Pirates, um, and Bob Gibson's still on the team, and so. Nowhere to go. So my friend and I walked over to standing above the uh, Cardinals bullpen and somebody had been standing there with us, set his beer on the ground. And I'm trying to look over to look at Bob Gibson. I'm getting over my foot hits the cup of beer and it spills over right onto the pitching coach's head. <laughs> and he, I was, he's looking up going, what the hell? And he's looking up at us and I was, took off i was like oh shit i'm in trouble uh, so <laughs> that's my one opening day story and talking about uh three or stadium and whether or not i asked you if you had any artifacts um i'll hold our listeners are not going to be able to see it but you uh square from three river stadium turf that i yeah. purchased and it's just about an inch by an inch but i can look at it and say i was there so Mitch, tell our listeners about your friendships with Fergie Jenkins, Bill Lee. I'm sure anyone that is a baseball diehard will know these two men are at the pronouncement of their names. Well, I met both of them at a uh, old field of dreams that th there used to be over near Harrisburg, PA. 
it was called Double Day Farm. And Brad Shover, who owned the place, uh, he bought a farm and he basically did what they did in the Field of Dreams movie. He bulldozed one of his cornfields and he put a ballpark out there and it was a really old fashioned ballpark. And you had the corn in the background, just like in the movie, except he did have a home run fence. Uh, but he started to invite ex-major leaguers to come every week in the summer. And his house was a bed and breakfast. So these players would come in and you could stay in the bed and breakfast with the player. Like the player would have his own suite that Brad made up, but you could stay in one of the other rooms. So when I learned about this place, uh, the first person I had met when I went there was Tony Oliva. Uh, but then once I was there and met Tony and started to realize how special this place was, and the fact that I can travel over that way on business uh, and tie it into some business trips, I started going quite often. And I, I met so many ex-major league players. And they would play with you on the field in the old uniforms. You'd wear the old wool uniforms. And uh, these guys would actually get out there and play with you. So I met wow. so many guys and played with them. Uh, but Fergie and Bill... Uh, it, it turned out the week that Fergie was there, um, my, they also had a horse. They had a bunch of horses at this place. My daughter was into horseback riding at the time. She was probably 10 years old and they had a horse camp. So when I was telling my daughter about it, she wanted to go to this horse camp. So that became more of a specialized week for us where I brought her out. She spent the whole week doing a horse camp with a bunch of other young girls. Um, and Fergie happened to be the player there that week. And I ended up playing a few games and spending, you know, four days in a row with Fergie Jenkins at this, wow. at this. And, you know, I think I had told you when we were talking that a lot of these guys don't want to talk about baseball. They want to talk about everything but baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, so when, when you'd be there and all these guys are approaching Fergie, all they're talking about was like the collapse of the 69 Cubs and how did that happen? Mm -hmm. And and I could watch, I'm watching him and I'm realizing he doesn't want to talk about this stuff. So mm -hmm. I started asking him more personal questions like, you know, where do you live? What do you do? And you know, came to learn that he lived in Oklahoma and he had a horse ranch. And uh, that's what we started to talk about. And then we talked about other things outside of baseball. And he and I just seemed to have a lot of common interests. And we ended up spending time during the day going shopping and going out to eat lunch together and oh other, other things that week. Um, wow. So over the course of that four or five days, I really got to know him well. And then we exchanged phone numbers. I kept in touch with him. When the, when the All-Star Game happened in Pittsburgh in 2006, he came. Uh, he was the manager of the Triple uh, AAA All-Star Game. Uh, and he stayed at the William Penn. And so when he was in town for that, we spent a lot of time together that week. Um, and then I have been to Canada many times up to his, he has a charity golf outing and fishing derby up there. And my dad and I had gone up many times. Uh, and then I've been out to play golf at, he lives in Anthem, uh, Arizona now, north of Phoenix. 
and I've been out to play golf out there with him. Um, and then Bill Lee, same thing. I met Bill at, at Double Day Farm. He and his wife were there. And same thing. I spent three or four days with Bill. We just really had a good time and hit it off. And he and his wife ended up coming to Pittsburgh. Uh, we got together. His, his wife's aunt and uncle lived in Oakmont, which was 10 minutes from my house. And uh, we ended up getting together in Pittsburgh. And then when we went to Boston on one of our baseball trips, he and his wife and his aunt came and stayed at our hotel. Went to He actually went to the Red Sox game with us and sat with us in center oh, wow. field. Um, and Bill's aunt, you probably don't know this, Bill's aunt, uh, Annabelle Lee, was in the women's league back in the 40s when they had the oh, league of their own. Uh, she wow. played, she was a pitcher in that league. Her uniform's in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Uh, wow. So I got to meet her that night in Boston uh, when the three of them came to the game. I got to meet Annabelle also. Uh, but again, cool. Bill and I just kept in touch. Uh, when, the, when the Red Sox won in 2004, the, their first World Series since whenever, 19-0-whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, a long time. I actually called Bill that night and congratulated him. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Since he was part of the Sox for a long time. Yeah. So yeah, I just—it was just happenstance. I just happened to be able to spend a lot of time with both of them and just became friends with them. Yeah, and so did you get the chance to ask Annabelle what she thought of the movie, the Tom Hanks movie? Yeah, she thought it was very, uh, you know, like a lot of movies, they embellish a lot of things. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff was uh, for the movie only. But yeah. she she thought it was well done. She, mm. she, uh, she thought it represented the, at least the on-field stuff that they showed uh, yeah. was very well done. And I love the movie myself. Yeah. That's interesting you said embellish because I asked Terry Hanratty what he thought of the movie Rudy and how accurate that was. And he said to me, he goes, first of all, the scene where the players turn in their jerseys so that Rudy can make an appearance in a final game, he says, Dan Devine would have never allowed a player to turn in his jersey. Had they done that, they would have been off the team. Yeah. He said, secondly, he said he was not carried off the field. There's never been a player carried off the field like that at Notre Dame. And he says maybe some of his buddies came down and lifted him up and carried him off the field. But he says players did not carry him off the field. I did not. He I said, did not. I thought that would have really happened watching that movie. Yeah, you, they they think it happens, but no. Harry confirmed that it did not happen. Neither of those huh. scenes happened. They did it for the movie. Um, but somebody just pointed out to me the other day that. Um, they the divine family did not want that movie made uh -huh. and they said they told the divine family well listen if you don't give us permission to give the rights to this movie we're going to reveal things in the movie that's going to make notre dame look really bad so uh -huh. they they caved in and obviously the movie was made not accurate uh -huh. but made i didn't uh, know so yeah so we're talking about football and, and 
You're a huge baseball fan, Mitch, but something that took me by surprise when we reconnected was our discussion of football, and you revealed that you are not a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, even though you grew up in Pittsburgh. But all th- of all things, an Oakland Raiders fan, I thought everyone from Pittsburgh was a black and gold fan, so I was surprised to hear you say that, uh, especially since the rivalry that existed back in our day. But tell our listeners who, you coming from Pittsburgh, how can you be a fan of one of the most bitter rivals, the Raiders? Well, I was born in Erie, so when I was growing up in Erie, Fred Bolitnikoff played for the Raiders, and Fred was from Erie, and the Steelers were terrible back then in the 60s. So when you were living in Erie as a kid, nobody rooted for the Steelers. They were either Bills, Browns, uh, basically the Bills, Browns, and the Raiders, and a lot of people from Erie were Raiders fans because Fred was from Erie. So that's, those are the games they showed on TV back then. When I was young, they always had the Raider games on in Erie because Fred was playing. And I just, you know, I was a hometown guy, even as a kid, and I just fell in love with Fred Bolitnikoff and the Raiders. So when we moved wow. to Pittsburgh, the year we moved to Pittsburgh is when the Steelers got good. And um, mm-hmm. I still remember – you know, listening to the uh, Immaculate Deception game. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, you know, devastating, obviously, as a Raider fan. But I just I just stayed a Fred Bolitnikoff and Raider fan. And I always have been. I've just never – and I finally got to meet Fred about six months ago. He was at a high school fundraiser up in Erie, and I went to it. And I finally got to meet him, which was a really, really nice thing for me after all those years. But sure. that's, that's how I became a Raider fan and stayed a Raider fan. So I got to ask you, did you wear Raiders gear walking around Pittsburgh? And if you did, how'd you avoid getting beat up? Uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> I've, been to Raider game, I've been to Raider games against the Steelers over the years at Three Rivers and Heinz Field, Acushire. And I've, I've worn my Bolitnikoff jersey. So I, with, with our age now and me wearing the Bolitnikoff jersey, most people approach me and they just love it. They're like, Oh, I, re- I remember watching Fred. He was great. And, you know, I, I really have never had a bad word said to me at any, any Steeler home game. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah. So, if you're in Philadelphia, I might be a different story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really believe that at the Pittsburgh Steelers, had they not been in the way of the Raiders in the, they, the Raiders would have won multiple Super Bowls and not the Steelers. Um, they were that good. Uh, give us your impression mm-hmm. of the Immaculate Reception that we just spoke about. And you, like you, because of the blackout rule, we were forced to listen to it on the radio. So we didn't get to see that game live. And I remember sitting in my driveway listening to that, to that game and the play. But do you believe that was a legal or illegal catch by Franco? Well, what do you think I'm going to say? Uh, I, <laughs> I call it the immaculate deception. Uh, so I don't know. John Wooden said the same thing. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, obviously, as a Raider fan, I think it was a bogus play, but whatever. You know, as a Raider fan, I had the tuck rule game against the Patriots with Tom Brady, and there's been. There's been a bunch of things over the years, but, uh, you know, I'm at the age now or whatever. It's just right. whatever. And that tuck roll might be one of the biggest robberies in the history of football. I mean, that was such a joke. 
Right. Um, and the Raiders would go on to win Super Bowls anyway. And, and just a few years after their Immaculate Reception, they won some Super Bowls. But uh, one final question for you, Mitch. Are you a fan of any other sports? And obviously you may like the Pittsburgh Penguins, but any other teams and what other sports? Well, over the years, I've had favorite teams in different sports. The, my favorite NBA team as a, as a young person was the uh, New York Knickerbockers. Uh, Willis Reed was my favorite, hands down, my favorite basketball player of all time. I loved Willis Reed and the Knicks. Uh, but then after he retired and a lot of those players retired, I, I, I actually hated the Celtics back then, obviously. The Celtics and the Knicks were a big rivalry. But mm. I actually became a Celtics fan when Larry Bird came into the league. Mm. Uh, so for pretty much his whole career, I was a Celtics fan. Um, but I've been a fan of, uh, in hockey, I've, I've been a fan of the Canadians over the years, especially when we were younger and Ken Dryden was playing goalie for them. Um, and in baseball, I was always a Red Sox fan in the American League. The Pirates have always been my favorite team. But I was like, I like a lot of American League teams because the Pirates weren't playing against them. <laughs> so sure. so I, like, I really like the Red Sox, the Tigers. Uh, even now, I still I still like the Red Sox and the Tigers. Uh, I moved to I moved to Michigan in 1984, the year the Tigers won the World Series. So that was a really that was a cool year to be living in Detroit. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, pretty much anybody that's playing the Steelers is who I root for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, Pitts Pittsburghers are cringing right now. Pittsburgh are saying that. Uh, and you, you talk about basketball. You, you're not a Pittsburgh Pipers or Pittsburgh Condors fan. Many people might not know that the Pittsburgh, uh, the city of Pittsburgh, did have a professional basketball team in the ABA, the Condors and the Pipers. And actually, the Condors—they might have been the Pipers at the time. Their very first year in the league, they won the the ABA title. I I don't remember that, but. When I moved to yeah. Pittsburgh in 71, the Condors were still playing. I think they only yeah. played one or two years when we moved to Pittsburgh, and then they were gone. Mm -hmm. um, so, no, I mean, I was, I was a Pitt basketball season ticket holder for a long, long time and Pitt football season ticket holder. Um, but, mm, you know, other than that, that's who I followed. Here's something else from our era that uh, some of our listeners may not realize or know is that there was also a professional tennis league back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> the Pittsburgh Triangles. And I actually went to see them play. Uh, I did. A professional I, tennis league. I went to many of their matches, actually. Ken uh, Roswell was the coach. Yes. And uh, Yvonne Gulagong was the yeah. uh, the star for the female players and um, Vita Scarolitis. Right. Vetus Garolitis for the men. Oh my God. Uh, I still have a poster. I still have the team poster from the Pittsburgh Triangle. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and here's a uh, more thing before we get to the final word is that you mentioned you want. So yeah. uh, my neighbor up, up the street, Dan Pelzarski, was um, a professional golfer in a Canadian golf tour, but um he, oh. the pga yeah. but he and i went to i think it was the u.s open at oakmont and i believe it might have been 78 
Um, and Bill Mahathia ended up winning, but um, Johnny Miller was in there. And I'll tell you, of all the sporting events I've ever been to, that was one of the most I've ever had at a professional sporting event was going to a professional golf match. It was huh. just a blast. Fun. I've never been to one. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So as I do every show, Mitch, the last word goes to my guest before we close. So you talk, talk about any plans you have, sports pro in or might be dealing with. In the and I got to say, this has been so, so cool. We found each other again after over 45 years. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, I've listened to some of your other podcasts with the other guests, including Steve Fidel and Terry Hanratty and your ballpark podcast that you did. And this has really jogged my memory, even talking to you on the phone. And, you know, you sent me the alumni uh, directory from North Hills High School. And just all of this has really, really jogged my memory and made me remember things that I forgotten till I heard them again. Um, but uh, no, other than that, I, I, I'm still planning to do the San Francisco and Oakland games this summer. Uh, we're considering doing a trip up to the Cape Cod, Cape Cod League to see some college games this summer with my friend Brian Williams, who, uh, again, uh, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, all the baseball trips we've taken. Um, but other than that, I've really uh, kind of reconnected with my love for baseball card collecting. I've been uh, finally in a place where I can uh, have my cards out and enjoy them. And now, being at the age we are, I'm really enjoying looking at the old cards from the 60s and really enjoying sitting down and looking at those and, you know, remembering all of that, you know, all the old players and uh, mm -hmm. some of my neighbors who are our age, who were baseball fans, uh, mm -hmm. just getting to sit and talk with them about baseball. It's hard to find people yeah. these days that, that want to sit and talk about baseball. Uh-huh. And history is my specialty. I love history. I thrive on history. That's what I kind of try to focus on. Um, and so, yeah, looking at the directory, it, it must have made you feel old. I mean, I can't believe I'm going to be 65 <laughs> next year. Oh, my gosh. And, and you mentioned Sunoco real quickly. You mentioned Sunoco back then. I used to have the Sunoco football sticker book. I don't know if you remember that or not. I have mine. I still have mine. You do? Oh, my I'm gonna bring. I'll bring them to Florida. We can look at them. Oh my God! I lost. I lost mine over the years. But you would, for people that are unaware, gas at Sunoco gas station. You could buy the sticker book, and every time you got gas, you would get a little sticker to put in the book of all the players for every team. Very cool. Well, we're gonna have to do this again, Mitch. So much more we could talk about. Um, you know, again, the '70s was just the greatest decade ever to to watch sports, and we were for many championship teams. Um, and so I for coming on, Mitch, it's been a, a lot. Of, uh, we will definitely do this again. Uh, uh, be up and running here shortly. So uh, we will schedule one more time and, uh, and maybe a couple more after that. Yep. I really appreciate this, Harvey. It's been, I'm so happy you reached out to me. Um, and we reconnected. This has really been a nice thing, and I'm I'm really appreciative 
I really appreciate you having me on today. Well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, so this concludes another episode of Total Sports Recall. And while Mitch Mansfield is a friend, he is obviously a sports aficionado. It has been an immense pleasure to have such an in-depth sports conversation, something Mitch and I did back in 1977. For Mitch Mansfield, this is Harv Aronson, inviting you to address my any comments or suggestions about and for this show to the official Total Sports Recall email, which is totalsportsrecall at gmail.com. I can be reached on Twitter using my handle, at TSRHarv59, but I also have the Total Sports Recall website at www.totalsportsrecall.com, at which you can purchase official show products. There is also the Total Sports Recall YouTube channel, which you can find there using the URL www.youtube.com forward slash at Total Sports Recall 59. So for my friend Mitch Maysfield, this is Har Aronson, and there will be a new podcast next weekend and every weekend. For everyone listening, I wish you all a wonderful week ahead. The contents of this podcast do not represent the opinions of others and are solely the opinions of Harv Aronson based on his experience, knowledge, and research. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.